Grace, mercy, and peace of Christ Jesus rest upon each and every one of you this day. Amen. It is amazing how often God gets a bad rap for being so hard-nosed and mean. God's no fun. God is so uncaring and self-centered. All he cares about is people following his rules. You scoff at such statements, and yet we hear the parable that Jesus tells in our gospel lesson, and we find ourselves kind of secretly agreeing with these sentiments. After all, these three individuals cannot make it to the banquet. Other more important things have come up. It happens to all of us, right? Surely the master of the feast would understand. But he doesn't. Instead, we are told that the master of the feast became very angry with the people who were unable to come out. In his anger, he invites the riffraff of the community. He'll show them, I tell you, none of those who are invited shall taste my banquet. You have to admit, that all sounds pretty vindictive and petty and mean. This is the God we are supposed to worship and adore? Here's the thing. We are 2,000 years removed from the first telling of this parable. And more than that, culturally, we are in a whole nother dimension. There is so much lost in translation. There is so much that our 21st century American ears do not hear and do not understand. For starters, we automatically assume that the invited guests were simply responding with negative RSVPs. Hey, I would love to come, but I can't. I've got other plans. That's not how it was. That is not how it is to this day in Mideastern Arabic culture. Truth be told, it is actually very similar to what we already know, though we do not give it any thought. You see, there were two invites given. The first invite was the simple fact that everyone was invited on this date for a feast. We would call it a save-the-date invite. Everyone responds with reservations or regrets. Yes, I'll be there, count me in, or no, I'm sorry, but I cannot make it. Okay, Now we know how much food to procure and prepare. Now we know what to plan for. Invite number two happens when the food is all prepared, the feast reception is all set, and now it is time to celebrate. Come, for everything is now ready. This is the invite that the people reject. They have already said yes. They have already RSVP'd and made sure that their spots were reserved, and then they simply blow off the host. It would be like everyone showing up to celebrate Thanksgiving, and just when you got everything all prepared and set out, and you call everyone to the table to say grace and dig in, they stand up and head for the door. Yeah, sorry, I bought a house, and now I need to go check it out and take a walkthrough. Or I just bought a car, and now I need to go take it for a test drive. Or, I just don't want to be here. That is something else that is so often missed in our hearing. These were not good or valid excuses. These were public and deliberate slaps in the face of the host. These were deliberate middle fingers of indifference and ingratitude. Who buys a house sight unseen and then takes a walkthrough? 
who buys agricultural property, which is a premium in arid desert country, and then decides to do a walkthrough to see if it's good for planting. The same goes for the team of oxen. Even poor farmers know that both oxen have to work together. They have to pull the same. They have to tire at the same rate. No farmer to this day buys multiple oxen without first test driving and doing a lot of research and work before the purchase. And as for the fellow who talks about his honeymoon night, you just don't do that, especially in that culture. As one rabbi put it, everyone knows what happens with the bride in the bridal chamber on wedding night. But woe to the groom who speaks coarsely and crudely and openly about such things. If a groom speaks in such a dishonorable and perverted way every year that was intended for marital joy and blessing will now be a a year of misery and heartache. These guys were not simply RSVPing their regrets. They were purposefully out to dishonor the master of the feast. This was passive-aggressive hypocrisy on full display. They were out to ruin him and ruin his feast. They were intent on bringing shame upon him and his household as if they were better than him. This is why the master of the feast became so angry. He knew their wicked intentions and aims. But did you notice something? The master of the feast does not behave like I would. He does not exact vengeance. He does not go on the warpath or start name-calling or anything like that. He does not sink to their level. He does not even cancel the feast. The feast goes on. Instead, he channels this just and righteous anger into amazing grace and love. He sends his servants out to invite every lowly degenerate and riffraff to his feast. No strings attached. He invites those who could not possibly repay him or reciprocate the gracious favor. Even as the banquet is going and all the lowly guests of honor are celebrating, the servant tells the master that there is still tons of room. There are still a lot of empty chairs and more than enough space to go around. So the master commands his servants to go out to all the lowliest places, to the farthest reaches of Nowheresville and Skid Row, and compel even the lowliest of people to come to his feast and celebrate and receive and partake. Before we go any further, it is important to point out what this does not mean. I say this because a lot of bad mission work and evangelism has been done over the centuries, citing this verse as justification for doing some pretty evil and bad things, like the Spanish Inquisition. We are told to compel them to come. We're just being good Christians. We compel them with the sword and with torture. Repent and convert and partake in Christ's feasts or die. We get that this is wrong, but so often we are just as wrong in our attentions and aims using the verse as justification for such things as bait and switch. We compel people to come out to church by luring them in with handouts and giveaways and free therapy and all kinds of fun for the kiddos, and yet never giving them the one thing they truly need, the bread of life. That is not what this means, to force or coerce or trick. 
To compel, to anakadzo, as the Greek says, is to take by the wrist and convince them, prove to them that this is not a joke or a setup. It is for real. It might seem too good to be true. It might seem it cannot be real. It might seem that there's a catch, but it is not. Come with me and see. Come on, it's for real. No strings attached. It's for you. The master wants you to come and has a spot for you. And all that's missing is you filling it. This is where we come in. We are the ones who have been called and compelled to come. I know it is very easy to sit here and think about and focus on all the people we know who do make all kinds of wicked excuses for not coming out to the feast that our Lord prepares each and every Sunday. But that is not really the point of this lesson. The point of the lesson is that our Lord, the master and groom of the marriage feast, is so gracious and so loving and so merciful that he invites the likes of us lowly and sinful riffraff to attend and partake and enjoy. We deserve nothing but present and eternal punishment for our sin. And yet our Lord compels us to come and eat and drink of his righteousness and life-giving grace, mercy, and love. And make no mistake, the feast has already begun. It is not like we have to wait to get to heaven before we can begin feasting and celebrating. Our Lord comes to us in his holy supper. He brings a foretaste of the feast. Come, for the feast is prepared. Come, Take and eat. Take and drink for the complete forgiveness of all your sin. Come and partake in the abundance of the feast. A feast which nourishes you with a joy and peace that surpasses all human understanding. Now, do some folks give the middle finger to such a gracious invitation? Do some folks reject the no-strings-attached invitation of the master? Sure. It happens all the time, and it will continue to happen as long as old Adam dwells on this side of eternity, thinking that he knows better than God. We are still called to compel everyone to come and see and hear and feast with our Lord and Master. But do take careful to know we are not called to force anyone to partake or enjoy. Contrary to some beliefs, you cannot force people to enjoy themselves. You cannot force people to love God or want to partake in his feast. There are always going to be people who want to do their own thing and offer up their own kinds of excuses and justifications as to why it is okay to not be here. There are always going to be people who refuse the invite because the feast table and the reception hall, in their judgment, is full of a bunch of sinners and hypocrites. And they will never step their self-righteous feet into such a foul place. There will always be people who will reject this gracious and bountiful feast, opting instead to set their own tables with whatever floats their boat. It is incredibly sad to see. It saddens me to watch this happen, knowing that I cannot change this. I cannot make the change happen in people. I cannot force it. It's like watching the train coming down the tunnel. We know how it will end. Scripture is very clear. 
Christ Jesus himself has spoken multiple times about the door being closed, and those who opted to be outside will now be eternally on the outside in darkness and will have nothing but weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is not a pretty picture. It is not God's fault that this happens, though. His gracious invite goes out to all, to everyone. God plays no favors. There is plenty of room in heaven for everyone. There is plenty of room at this feast table here for everyone. Unfortunately, so many people have rejected and will continue to reject his invitation. They will cast themselves out. They will put themselves out. They will bring on their hellish despair and weeping and gnashing of teeth all on their own. And then they will act surprised when they get exactly what they pushed for in life. That is how God works, though. He holds out his gifts of grace and mercy and love and peace to everyone. No strings attached. He compels everyone to come and freely partake in his abundant joy and peace. But if you want to turn them down, believing that you do not need God and his feast of life, then so be it. Careful what you wish for, because in the end, you will get it. That is what this is. And I would not be doing my job if I did not simply tell it like it is. But as I said earlier, this is not the main focus for us today. Our focus, our joy, our peace our comfort, even as we bear our crosses in this fallen and sinful and self-centered, self-worshipping world of self-righteous fools, is the fact that God has graciously called us and invited us to his feast, a feast of life and mercy and love that he sets before us this very day in our very midst. Here is our reason to rejoice. Here is our peace that surpasses all understanding. It is for real. It is not too good to be true. God so loved you that he sent his only begotten son to die for your sins, all so that you could have eternal life in him. And God so loves you still in spite of your sinfulness that he continues to send his son to feed you and nourish you with his life-saving, life-giving feast of word and sacrament. We bear witness to it today as the youngest and oldest and everyone in between is freely invited and welcomed into his holy house and reception hall, not just as guests of honors, but as sons and daughters of the king. My fellow redeemed, my brothers and sisters in Christ, here is your joy. Here is your peace. Here is your assurance. Here is your Lord and Savior, arms wide open, compelling all to hear and believe and come to him, for it is finished. The victory is won. The table has been set. The feast has already begun. May you ever and always behold and partake and praise God from whom all blessings flow. Amen. May the peace that surpasses all human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting.